Welcome in. Thanks for joining us for the latest edition of the Delaware Biblecast, a podcast ministry from Delaware Bible Church. I'm Brad Harris. I'm blessed to serve as pastor of administration and outreach here at Delaware Bible Church. And again, today I'm blessed to be able to come to you and share more from our series on modern cults and world religions. And today we're going to begin our series studying what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. Now, I think based on the last couple podcasts that I've done, that the best format for sharing this is going to be in three parts. So that's what we're going to do. This week, we are going to go over the basic overview of what a Jehovah's Witness is, or who they are, what they believe, some basic things about them, and their history. And next week, we're really going to be looking at the things that they believe, their theology. And along with that, then, we will do a separate podcast, a, I said shorter last time, but for anyone that listened in, it might have been about 10 minutes shorter, but not a lot shorter. Going through, this is actually, you know, if I were talking to a Jehovah's Witness, these are some of the things that I would emphasize or point to. So that being said, as we've shared previously, you can, of course, continue to listen to the podcast to get this information, but as well, you can find some supplemental material and things online at DelawareBible.org, and you can go there, and as you uh, are on the main page, if you scroll down, it will have Delaware Bible Institute, and it will have current courses. You can click on that, and as you click on current courses, you will see modern cults and world religions, and as you're there you will find a list of all the classes and what we went through in each class, and you will find everything that you need to for these classes as well as some other articles or things that I will reference definitely next week and as well from previous weeks. So as we begin our time looking at who are the Jehovah's Witnesses, what do they believe, what do I need to know about them, As we've looked at Mormons and now Jehovah's Witnesses, we will see that these are people who are in our community here in Delaware, Ohio. There is actually, from Delaware Bible Church, a Kingdom Hall, which is where Jehovah's Witnesses meet for worship, 4.7 miles away from DBC, right down 36. Additionally, as I was studying and looking about other uh, Kingdom Halls and where they would be, I found that it looks to be 11 additional kingdom halls within about a 25-mile radius of Delaware, Ohio, within Delaware Bible Church. And so, that being said, most of them look to be pretty similar in looking a little bit more like an assembly hall than what we would consider to be most churches today. They don't look incredibly large or anything like that. In fact, if I were to... Uh, compare the look of the space towards another building that I could think of, I would actually think of a funeral home where they have kind of a mid-sized multi-purpose room where you may be able to fit 100 people, maybe a little bit more than that in the space, and that you could do a lot of assembly type things with the building. And so as we look at Kingdom Halls and think about them, I would say none of them that I saw were particularly large. And from what I can tell, Jehovah's Witnesses are folks that are dogged about continuing to share their faith and get out there. But they are folks that also uh, 
churches in and of themselves. They don't have ones that are particularly large in and of themselves. Now, that being said, of the major false religions that we will study, Jehovah's Witnesses are one of the larger ones. In that, in 2022, they reported a total of 8,514,983 whom they call publishers or members that were preaching each month. Now, their website explains that a publisher is someone who is actively publishing or preaching the good news of God's kingdom. The religion itself grew by 0.4% in 2022, and they baptized a total of 145,552 members into their church. In the U.S., there were a total of 1,238,431 Jehovah's Witnesses, averaging a total of 453,281 Bible studies per month. It's noted that for every 272 U.S. citizens, there is one Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's Witnesses also share that they worship in a total of 239 lands across the world. And as well in 2022, there were a total of 117,960 total Jehovah's Witness congregations, which seems to fall in line with what we were looking at in regards to Kingdom Hall's not being incredibly large, expansive church ministries. There's a total of 86 different branches of the religion that church leaders oversee. And as we'll see here in a little bit, those churches are overseen by elders and members of the church and not paid staff members. Now, one of the things that Jehovah's Witnesses push and highlight is that they have a total of over 1 billion In fact, the number is over 1.5 billion hours spent on the mission field with an average of, and that's per year, with an average of 5,666,996 Bible studies each month. Jehovah's Witnesses are dogged about continuing to share what they believe to be the truth of God's Word. And with that, as a reminder... Each false gospel religion that we study here, we can find areas that we can appreciate and areas that will challenge us with each of them. And one of the things that we can most appreciate about the Jehovah's Witnesses is that they have a dogged determination to share what they believe to be the Word of God. Now, as we'll study through this series, we'll see the problem is not that they are so faithfully sharing what they believe to be true, The problem is, what they believe to be true is not. And faithfulness on the mission field, distributing Bible literature, preaching and leading Bible studies are key parts of the life of their church. They spend these hours uh, ministering and sharing and preaching and proclaiming, and this over one and a half billion number that we looked at is in line with what they've done in previous years there. They are likely the distributors of more religious literature than any other denomination. I can speak just for myself here in the city of Delaware, where within the last eight months I've been offered literature by uh, an older man that was sharing it in downtown Delaware. As well, I have also uh, received a handwritten letter from a Jehovah's Witness. And interestingly, uh, as I record this podcast, 
yesterday, I'm recording it on Sunday, and yesterday was Saturday, and uh, my wife Anna and I were visiting some family members uh, that lived out in the country. And they lived out in the country in Ohio, and they had shared with us that they received a handwritten letter from a Jehovah's Witness. And the explanation that they must have gave, uh, going out that far out in the country to, to share, would have been, well, they just must look at the auditor's website and see when new people uh, move in and someone has that ministry, and that's true. There, are, I would guess most of them to be more elderly folks within the church that are faithfully writing letters, faithfully sharing, faithfully trying to get what they believe to be the good news in the hands of as many as they can. Now, the main thing that they try to get into your hands is their magazine. They publish several magazines, and the Watchtower is the one that is the most popular with them. They report that 36.3 million copies of each copy of the magazine go into circulation in a total of 419 different languages. And you can look at these magazines, you can uh, look at them in all the different languages there on their website at jw.org. <clears throat> they say this about the Watchtower magazine. They say the Watchtower shows us the significance of the world events in light of Bible prophecies. It comforts people with the good news of God's kingdom and promotes faith in Jesus Christ. This is from their website, jw.org. And so if you were to go there to jw.org, you could look at the different magazines, and you will see that as you look at the Watchtower magazine, you're going to see a lot of topics there that would be of interest to a person seeking, looking for answers. They have different things on the afterlife. They have different things about finances or knowing God or different things that a person would want to pick up. It's well put together, well packaged, and they would want to read it. <clears throat> Additionally, though, they also have the study editions of their Watchtower magazine. And while the main edition focuses more on topical issues, the study edition focuses more on studying Bible stories or important parts of the Christian life, such as baptism. And so these are often used within the church for various Bible studies, for teaching, for sharing, for preaching. And these are going to be things that fall in more to the regular members who are faithfully there in the church. Now they publish another magazine. It's the last one we'll talk about that, and that is called Awake. And they say that Awake shows us how to cope with today's problems and builds a confidence in the Creator's promise of a peaceful and secure new world. So again, it's focusing on certain topics or areas there and how they can stay awake in their faith in these things. If we were to look at modern pulp culture, we will see several famous Jehovah's Witnesses but the reality is that most of them, based on Jehovah's Witness beliefs, are going to be former. Now, one of the ones that you will have heard of, and that fits into that category that I'll first share, is President Dwight D. Eisenhower. Now, President Eisenhower was the 34th President of the United States, and he served back in 1953 to 1961. He grew up as a Jehovah's Witness, but as he got older, left the faith, and that would have been necessary, as, and we'll talk more about this here in a little bit, 
Jehovah's Witnesses are famously apolitical. They do not vote. They do not participate in the political election cycle. And so in order for this man to be a president, he would have to forsake that teaching. And so as we look at this, much different in contrast to when we first looked at Mormons a couple weeks ago, Jehovah's Witnesses are going to be people who fall in the opposite sphere of wanting public influence, and they're not going to want that in a political realm. They're not going to want that uh, in regards to having a picture of moral excellence about them that the world could see because they're very isolationist. They very much try to stay out of the world and what uh, the different leadership areas are in the world around them today. Now, as we look at other famous Jehovah's Witnesses, one of the ones that you will likely have heard and seen the most are Michael and Janet Jackson. They are famous musicians, and they were raised as Jehovah's Witnesses. As well, if you've ever heard Prince, he was also a musician, and he was raised as a Baptist, but converted shortly after his mother passed away. Probably in the athletic field today, the most famous Jehovah's Witness that you will see are Venus and Serena Williams. They are famous tennis players, and they still practice their faith as witnesses today. Danny Granger was a man who was a 10-year NBA veteran. He's now retired, and he was drafted by and most famously played as an Indiana Pacer. A couple years ago, you may have heard of a man named Darren Collison. And Darren played in the NBA for several years. I know he played with, I believe, the Clippers and some other teams. And he was famously about to be able to receive a large extension on his contract. But he turned that down, and he uh, retired for a time from playing in the NBA. And his reason for doing so was so that he could pursue his faith and work in that. Now, he later then did come back to the league more recently, and I believe the last that I saw, he is in the developmental league within the NBA. Last person that I will share is a famous Jehovah's Witness, and that man is Terrence Howard. Now, you have likely seen Terrence Howard in a supporting role in a lot of movies. You may not be able to place his face, but if you were to Google him, I think you'd probably say, oh yeah, that guy looks familiar if you watch, too, watch very many movies today. But most notably, he was a star in the show Empire, and he was in the Iron Man film. He began following the faith as an adult, and now is raising his children in that faith today. Now, the founder of the Jehovah's Witness faith is a man named Charles Taze Russell. And Charles uh, founded this religion all the way back in the early 1900s or so, or actually I should say the late 1800s. Charles was born in February the 16th of 1852, and he was born in Allegheny, Pennsylvania. He was raised as a Presbyterian and was encouraged by his mother to consider Christian ministry as a vocation, but he decided to leave the church at the age of 17 as he didn't like the doctrines of predestination and eternal punishment within the church. Now, as we continue on in studying the doctrine and what Jehovah's Witnesses believe, we'll see that they don't believe in a literal hell. And part of that is going to come, that 
decision to put that in their doctrine by what Charles experienced growing up. Now, Charles did not like what the Presbyterian church was preaching, so he decided to move to a Congregationalist church for a short time. But as he grew, he quickly dropped organized religion, and he became a skeptic to it. He began to study various world religions, and he met with friends to study more about them. It was during that time that he never found another religion that satisfied what he was looking for, so he began the process of forming his own beliefs and his own doctrines. As Charles studied religions, he also studied the publishing industry and religious publications. He admired their presence in society, and he wanted to publish the beliefs that he was studying and forming. Charles also became friends with several Adventists who were excited about Bible prophecy, and his excitement and interest in Bible prophecy was something that he gleaned from them and kept for the rest of his life. Now, Bible prophecy and speaking and teaching about that was a large part of Charles's life. In July of 1879, Charles founded a new magazine called Zion's Watchtower and Herald of Christ's Presence. The first issue of that magazine stated that the purpose was to draw attention to Russell's belief that we were living in the last days. As Russell published this magazine, congregations in various cities picked him up and became committed and excited to the prophecy interpretations that Russell shared. One of those interpretations was that in 1914, Christ's kingdom would return to earth. Two years later, after that, in 1881, Charles established Zion's Watchtower Tract Society in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He recruited hundreds of evangelists from there to go door-to-door to distribute the literature that was published by the society. Russell stated in his literature that God's kingdom would be established on earth in 1914, And this was a major push throughout his literature that he used to motivate the evangelists that would go and share. Many of them, though, were incredibly disappointed and disheartened when this didn't happen. Later on, Charles moved the religion from the parts of Pittsburgh that he was in to Brooklyn, New York. He believed that this would be the ideal center for harvest work throughout the world, as Brooklyn would be a melting pot for so many different people groups. This site in Brooklyn remains the headquarters for the Jehovah's Witness religion today. In 1904, Russell published six volumes known as Studies in the Scripture. These volumes of these books are known as being foundational to the Jehovah's Witness faith, And Russell told his followers that if they read these books alone without reading the Bible, they would have the light of scriptures. However, if they read the Bible alone without reading his books, they would be in darkness within two years. Russell continued to grow the religion, but he died from a complicated urinary tract infection on October 31, 1916, at the age of 34. He's buried in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. After Russell's death, he was replaced by a man named Judge Joseph Rutherford. Rutherford previously joined the society as the Watchtower's legal counselor 
and he defended Charles in multiple legal cases. Some contest that his election as the head of the religion was unfair, but yet he had great significance as the leader of the Jehovah's Witness faith. Now, Rutherford turned the religious government structure from a plurality of leadership that was called the group of directors to that of a hierarchy with himself on top. He penned a total of 21 different books and a total of more than 100 pieces of literature for the society, and he dealt with the fallout of some of the churches who held different interpretations than what Russell or Rutherford stated in their literature. Rutherford served as president for a total of 25 years and is credited for having almost 400 million of his books and booklets distributed across the world. Jehovah's Witness membership increased more than sixfold under his leadership, based on what we can find from the 1975 yearbook of Jehovah's Witnesses. In 1931, Rutherford changed the name of the group to Jehovah's Witnesses. Churches were renamed to Kingdom Halls, and his goal in doing so was to make the group distinct in its branding from those who had left the Watchtower to begin their own religious groups. Now, as I studied and prepared to share with you, I could not find really much information at all about those other small denominational groups. But it does look like there is a small group of religious individuals who uh, were disenchanted by the Jehovah's Witness faith, but then went on to study and open up their own religious churches or groups or whatever it may be at the time. Now, after Rutherford's death, a man named Nathan Noor took over the presidency. He was known to be a man who was a great businessman and administrator, and under his leadership, Jehovah's Witnesses were individually trained to knock on doors and to make convincing presentations that included answers to any objections. After Rutherford's death, Nathan Noor took over presidency of the organization. He was known to be a good businessman and administrator, and under his leadership, Jehovah's Witnesses were individually trained to knock on doors and to answer any objections. Nor also helped develop the New World Translation of the Bible. This translation is the book that Jehovah's Witnesses use as their Bible, and the translation, they say, restored the name of Jehovah 237 times from Matthew to Revelation, and also said that Armageddon would come in 1975. It was claimed to be the best translation of the Bible that is available. Under Noor's leadership, the society also taught that human history would again come to an end after 6,000 years at the end of 1975. Many Jehovah's Witnesses found themselves greatly disappointed when 1975 came and went without anything happening. From 1976 to 1978, 390,000 witnesses left the Watchtower organization, as Ron Rhodes in his book The Kingdom of the Col- or The Challenge of the Cults and New Religion states. Near the end of Noor's life, the governing body of the society sought more control in the day-to-day running from the organization. And so after that, their congregation fell under supervisions of six administrative committees. 
These committees oversee the church with unchallenged authority to this day. You may have heard them called the board of directors or something similar to that. Now, when we look at Jehovah's Witnesses today, how they meet and what they do, we see that they typically meet for worship in kingdom halls, and they typically meet on Sundays and midweek, typically on Wednesday. As they meet together, their Sunday services involve a 30-minute lecture, a few songs, and a study hour, kind of like a Sunday school, involving questions and answers. Those questions and answers are about their faith, and those questions and answers as well are about how they can share that faith with others. Wednesday services include a question and answer session from Watchtower Publications, Bible reading, and presentations regarding sharing the Jehovah's Witness faith with outsiders. All publications and things to study are provided by Watchtower Publications. Now, the group that oversees these are elders, as there are no full-time ministers in the church. All Jehovah's Witnesses are viewed as ministers, and those who lead the hall are elders that have been chosen because of their faithfulness and knowledge. The elders are overseen by circuit overseers who visit the congregation about twice a year to check in. Jehovah's Witnesses do not allow women to serve in main leadership capacities within the church. They cannot hold an office as an elder or ministerial servant within the church, and they cannot join the governing body overseeing the church. All members of the church are, though, considered publishers or preachers because they are charged with sharing the good news. So if you talk to a Jehovah's Witness and you ask if there are women ministers or preachers within their church, they will say yes. Reading from a jehovahswitness.org piece of literature from their website, it says, Do Jehovah's Witnesses have women preachers? It says this, Yes, all of Jehovah's Witnesses are preachers or ministers, including several million women. As the Bible foretold, Many, many women spread the good news. This was from Psalm 6811, which they quote from the Net Bible. Women who are Jehovah's Witnesses follow the example set by women in the Bible. Although they don't assume a leadership role within the congregation, they have a full share in the public ministry. They also teach Bible principles to their children. By their works and actions, women work hard to be an influence for good. Titus 2, 3 through 5. And they have other various scripture references there that I did not read that are included as well. If you were to look at their hierarchical structure today, which, again, they are still governed by a plurality of leadership, but there is a structure there that brings a hierarchy. You will see at the bottom of that list would be the congregation, and they are served by two different groups. Number one is the ministerial servants, which are kind of like the deacons of the church, serving over the physical needs and whatever needs to be done in the church. And then there's the elders in the congregation. The elders oversee the preaching and teaching of the church, the general spiritual things that go on. And then you have the governing body there. They are called the faithful and discreet slave class. They said that whom Jesus has appointed over all his belongings, and so they oversee it all. Jesus Christ is over him, is over them, and then ultimately there is Jehovah God, as we'll get into next week. 
They believe that Jehovah God and Jesus are different, and Jesus is a lesser God to Jehovah. Jehovah's Witnesses as well, interestingly, are known for their opposition to blood transfusions. They believe that blood is sacred and that the Bible prohibits its ingestion. It says this from Religion Media Center. It says that witnesses carry a no-blood advanced decision document at all times so that in cases of emergency, medical staff will know their position. Witness children carry a, quote, identity card signed by their parents. Witnesses have been proactive in advocating alternative treatments and have established the hospital liaison committees responsible for education on and facilitation of bloodless surgery. A Jehovah's Witness who accepts a blood transfusion may be disfellowshipped or cut off from the community of faith. And it's interesting that as you study church discipline within the Jehovah's Witness Church, they believe that you are fully disfellowshipped and that even if you were to see a person such as a place like Meyer, they are shunned. They are out of the religion. The only time that you can talk to them is if they're an immediate family member or if you have official business, such as a real estate transaction, to do with them. Jehovah's Witnesses do not take part in any other interfaith activities or ecumenical groups. They believe that this could hurt one of their members' faith. They also are a very apolitical organization and refuse to participate in any type of political organization. Again, at jehovahswitness.org, that's jw.org, they say this in regards to political neutrality. They say, Jehovah's Witnesses remain politically neutral for religious reasons based on what the Bible teaches. We do not lobby, vote for political candidates, parties or candidates, run for government offense, or participate in any action to change governments. We believe that the Bible gives solid reasons following this course. Point one, they share we follow the example of Jesus who refused to accept political office. He taught his disciples to be a no part of the world and made it clear that they should not take sides in political issues. There are several scripture passages that they include with this. But I believe that as we study their faith, one of the things that Jehovah's Witnesses do is that they isolate texts, they twist them, and then as they are not encouraging their members to critically be thinking through the Bible, then what they end up doing is they end up just saying, this is what the church teaches on these things, and you can't really challenge it. They also say that we are loyal to God's kingdom, which Jesus spoke of when he said the good news of the kingdom will be preached in all the inhabited earth. As representatives of God's kingdom commissioned to proclaim its coming, we remain neutral in the political affairs of all countries, including the one in which we live. They say as well, by remaining neutral, we are able to speak freely to people of all political persuasions about the good news of God's kingdom. We try to show our words and practices by our words and practices, that we rely on God's kingdom. They continue to go on by saying that they don't take part, but that they do respect the government institutions that are given by God. They say, quote, We obey the law, pay taxes, and cooperate with efforts from the government to provide for the welfare of its citizens. 
rather than participate in any attempt to subvert the government, we follow the Bible's counsel to pray for kings of all those who are in positions of authority, especially when they are making decisions that could affect freedom of worship. Those things being said, it's important for us to, as we close our time, remember the characteristics of a cult that we shared from our first time where we started looking at cults and world religions. And as we do that, uh, this Masterclass article has been one that we've looked at a few times and we will continue to look through in our study. When we look at what makes a cult a cult, or what are the characteristics of a cult, the first thing that we often see is that there is authoritarian control. That there is maximum dependency on the organization. Now that dependency can look like a few different things. It can look as we've seen in some cultic groups where the people basically isolate themselves and create a commune. Or it can, and they do everything in that commune from education to reading to worship to everything. But yet often as we look at a group like the Jehovah's Witnesses, we see that they believe that they are the one true church. And as they are the one true church, reading, writing, everything that comes out of this church from a religious publication is going to come down from the Watchtower publication. It is the only one that someone should spend some time in, and there is maximum dependency that is put on the cult group. Additionally there, there are extremist beliefs and that members are unable to question the belief system due to fear of discipline. As we study Jehovah's Witnesses, we see that very clearly, as they really don't allow others to challenge them, and everything has to come through the church. Dovetailing with that is their isolation from society, as they basically say, we're the one true church and we're going to evangelize the world, and everyone needs to listen to what we have to share here. Finally, though, there is veneration of a single individual, or in this case, a small number of charismatic leaders who are leading the charge there. These leaders cannot be questioned. They have authority given to them from God. And in their religion there, they are the ones that determine everything within the church in regards to discipline, doctrine, and everything in between. So as we continue to next week be looking at at the false religion of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Again, we're going to be spending our time very specifically looking at the doctrines that they believe. And as we study these doctrines, I hope and pray that the Lord would use our time together to not only show you error, but how we can combat this error with the Word of God and how we can share the truth of His Word with others. Thank you for listening in today. It's a blessing to continue to be able to prepare and share with you each week. Hope that these podcasts continue to be helpful and informative. And you have my word that we will continue to share different podcasts with you throughout this upcoming uh, season where we're also going through elder testimonies. And we just had Rachel Yannick share with us a missionary testimony. Different things that I hope are helpful, encouraging, and a blessing to you. Again, thank you for listening in. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.